Hello and welcome to the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast. Thank you very much indeed for tuning into this episode. Now, before we begin, um, don't forget that we are still running our competition with the lovely folks at Heeltread.com, producers of wonderful motorsport-inspired socks. And we still have three pairs of their wonderful socks to give away. All you need to do to be in with a chance of winning a pair is simply to um, download the Podbean app, which is where our podcast is hosted, and subscribe uh, or follow to uh, the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast. That's all you need to do, and you will be in with a chance of winning uh, a pair of Heel Tread socks. And then tune in to our Instagram page, which is at Peter Mackay Motorsport, uh, over the next couple of days and to to see uh, if you've um, been lucky enough to win. So so check that out. Today, uh, we're going to talk about the World Rally Championship. And of course, the World Rally Championship, like every other racing series in the world right now, is currently ha- um, had to hit the pause button because of the coronavirus outbreak and travel restrictions and what have you. However, the world of motorsport never stops. And one very important um, date uh, in the future for the World Rally Championship is the beginning of the 2022 season. Because in the 2022 season, that is when we will see hybrid-powered World Rally cars for the very first time. It has been confirmed that the, uh, the, the cars entering into the World Rally Championship will be powered by a combination of uh, an internal combustion engine and an electric hybrid powertrain as well, with the intention being that the road sections, um, so the bits in between the competitive stages, could be run under completely under electric power. And also the hybrid unit could, could potentially be used for additional power boost uh, on power stages or perhaps to be deployed at a certain stage in in the rally. There's lots of flexibility that can be used with the hybrid powertrains. Now, the, it has been confirmed, and we've, we've now got a little bit more detail, a little bit more flesh on the bones uh, uh, as to what we can expect in 2022 from these new Rally 1 cars, as they'll be referred to. But for now, we'll just call them WRC, because that's what they should be called. Anyway, so the first thing they needed to decide on in the FIA Motorsport Council is the engine that these new rally cars would be powered by. So this is the internal combustion petrol power part of the equation. Now, at the moment, a world rally car uses something called a GRE engine, which is, stands for Global uh, Rally and en- Global Global Race Engine. Sorry, uh, it's a 1.6 liter turbocharged unit um, in their current state of tune producing not far away from 400 horsepower so it's a seriously powerful engine for such a small engine and per unit these uh, these engines cost 150,000 euros each now what had been was this what had been discussed uh, when dis- when deciding on the engine to go forward with the FIA Motorsport Council and the, the manufacturers and the WRC themselves 
considered um, utilising uh, an engine similar to what's found in an R5 or a Rally 2 car. Uh, it's also a 1.6 litre uh, turbocharged unit, but uh, is only £30,000, uh, sorry, €30,000 per unit. So you would think that that would be pretty obvious to use uh, to use the, the, the cheaper type of engine given the cost pressures that, that exist both in motorsport and in the automotive business right now. But the decision has been made to stick with this global race engine. Uh, the reason being is that it is a, a purebred racing engine and is potentially more durable given the forces that will be put through it um, because the R5 engine or the Rally 2 engine uh, is a road going engine that is then modified so it doesn't have quite the same tolerances and design that uh, the, the, the more um, race specific GRAE engine has. So that's what they've decided to do. That was reportedly very much uh, a, a Toyota's preferred option to stay with the GRE engine, whereas I think some of the other um, manufacturers like Ford or, the, or M-Sport um, would have preferred to go for the less expensive option. But it's been decided it's the GRE engine. The hybrid system had been put out to a tender, so the the idea is is that the manufacturers will not develop their own hybrid system because, of course, as was as we saw at Le Mans a couple of years ago in the top LMP1 class, manufacturers developing their own hybrid system becomes, uh, uh, I mean, apocalyptically expensive very very quickly, and its budget that is simply only available to very very few. And as we saw, the, the expense of the LMP1 category in developing their own hybrid powertrains eventually brought the category down. And it's very much a, uh, a, very much, um, a poor relation, if you like, of, it, of, of its past now. So what the FIA and the WRC decided was that they would um, put out to tender for a, a spec hybrid system. So a hybrid system that's the same for all competitors and is bought from a given supplier. So that's very much in line with what the very successful Formula E Championship does to try and keep costs down. So the two companies that were in the running for it, or say three companies, uh, were Compact Dynamics in Germany, and then Bosch and Williams Advanced Engineering collectively working, working alongside each other to come up with a solution. And surprisingly, normally if you were a betting man, you would have put it on put your house on Bosch and Williams Advanced Engineering being chosen as they are, particularly Bosch, the, 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 the market leaders in this type of, type of thing. However, Compact Dynamics in Germany were chosen because, again, on the grounds of cost, they could produce a suitable, um, they could produce the suitable equipment at a far more competitive cost, and that's where it came down to. And you'll, you know, throughout this episode, we'll talk a lot about cost and the importance of that um, going forward in the World Rally Championship. So, Compact Dynamics will be the company that supply the hybrid unit. So. So, so, so that's that's been decided. Also, we will go back to a, a five-speed gearbox and have no centre differential. So the gearboxes and and the whole transmission package is going to become a lot more simple compared to what it is now. Getting a central differential to work properly is again is a very expensive component, a very complex component. So there's no centre differential. 
Also, um, the suspension will become a lot more simple, less wheel travel, more simplified dampers. I was at Wales Rally GB at the end of last year and I watched the Hyundai team servicing their i20 and changing the dampers in and out. And these dampers looked the most exotic materials. I mean, seriously, seriously expensive. So, so the suspension's going to be simplified as well. We're, interestingly, they're still going to keep a lot of the, the wild aerodynamics that we see on the current specification of World Rally Car. But um, this time, the, the, the idea will be for no hidden aerodynamic tunnels and to have relatively simplified and relatively set aeros, but for aerodynamics, sorry, but for the cars to still look dramatic in appearance, which is which is important. Um, also, water-cooled brakes will be banned as well. So you can see where the theme is here. It's all about simplifying the car and trying to keep the cost down. Because when you add a hybrid hybrid element, you are going to add to the, the cost of the car massively. So there have to be savings in other areas. Currently, a current specification World Rally car, which came in in 2017, we have seen only one proper privateer effort with this, with the, with one of those cars, and that was with Mads Osberg, the Norwegian, uh, back in 2017, ran a private Ford Fiesta, and by the end of that season, the car was put up for sale, and we've not seen any other proper privateer efforts over a season. We've seen the occasional one-off drive, but but not but nothing in uh, nothing in particular. Before in the previous generation uh, of rules, privateers were were relatively common place and have been throughout the history of the World Rally Championship. So, you know, the now we're heading, you know, we're heading towards yeah, 1 million euro rally cars and it's getting it's getting probably a little bit silly. Um so it looks like the FIA are really really keen to try and bring that cost down whilst introducing uh, a hybrid element to keep because hybrid power is so so important right now for the car manufacturers. And in motorsport, if you don't have at least some engagement from car manufacturers, you have no motorsport. That has been the case for generations. You need manufacturers to come into the sport either to d promote a certain type of vehicle or a certain type of technology or just to get the brand awareness out or, uh, and or I should say, the research and development. So, for example, in the past, we've seen the paddle shift gearbox um, be developed. You know, for example, the PDK paddle shift gearbox developed by Porsche and Audi in the 1980s. Um, it was found on the 956 Le Mans car. It was found on the Audi Quattro rally car. That's something that you now see in a Skoda taxi um, because it's the DSG um, paddle shift automatic gearbox is something that's used almost as a rule in the Volkswagen Audi group which covers so many different brands uh, of course nowadays um, we also, we've also seen um, again hybrid technology Toyota racing at Le Mans with hybrid technology that's a big big part of, of their marketing campaign we've seen Porsche very much pushing towards uh, electrification of their vehicles you know, the, and well, with Audi, with the Quattro four-wheel drive, that was that was that was proved uh, in motorsport. Diesel, one of the yeah, that was one of the biggest ones in the mid two thousands. Audi bringing a diesel to Le Mans and winning, and proving that diesel could be sporty and uh, a, a suitable alternative. So 
motorsport is a brilliant proving ground for and for not only for developing technology but promoting it as well and proving the concept and in the world rally championship really you couldn't get a better way i think to to prove that your your road car that a car is capable and you're proving you're proving it in the toughest of conditions you know if you look back in the early 1990s toyota spent tens of millions of pounds just on the safari rally because being able to say that your car survived let alone won the safari rally was a big big deal um, so Toyota just threw everything at it to, to win that particular race because it meant so so much particularly at home in their in their domestic market in Japan so today to be able to take uh, to take your car onto the world rally stage with a hybrid powertrain is is really really attractive I think uh, uh, as, as well however there is one other so the hybrid that box has been ticked we're going hybrid but what has not been defined yet in the regulations is to what sort of vehicle or what class of vehicle you could bring to compete with in the world rally championship right now we have small what we would refer to as compact super mini cars so you could have a volkswagen polo in the past you could have a citroen um, c3 we have the hyundai i20 Toyota Yaris and Ford Fiesta, so small, you know, compact fam, compact shopping car, basically. However, in the past, uh, in the World Rally Championship, we've seen saloon cars, you know, with the Subaru Impreza, the Mitsubishi Lancer Evolution, Skoda Octavia, um, and and so on. When Volkswagen entered into the World Rally Championship, when they came in in twenty thirteen for four world titles in a row they actually initially uh, wanted to enter the Golf but the Golf uh, which is a, a hatchback sized car that was actually too big for, for the regulations um, so they had to use the Polo instead now what that means is is that you, if you can't have a car the size of a Golf you're, you're automatically constraining to a very select number of cars and also, this is the, I think this is the most crucial point, you're also restricting to a much lower price class of car. And this is important because if you think of what a manufacturer makes in terms of cash profit from each unit, say selling a Citroen C3 or a Ford Fiesta or a Toyota Yaris, the cash profit margin is very small. However, if you open up the class of vehicles that can compete you open up a whole different world. So, for me, if you look at if you look at the types of vehicles that the general public are buying in their droves right now, it's SUVs and crossovers. If you look around your street, if you live anywhere in Europe, if you look around your street, you're seeing more and more people replacing their regular hatchback or saloon car with a form of crossover and SUV. And every manufacturer has not one, not two, but often many more variants of virtually the same car, um, just with a different type of body shell on top of it. And these cars are immensely popular. Um, and if you look at the manufacturers that are currently engaged and competing in the World Rally Championship, if you look at Ford, they have four different types of SUV in their product range. Hyundai have three, and also Toyota have three as well. 
So for them, it's a huge it's a huge part of of their business and what they're selling. For example, Ford they sell nearly as many of their Cougar model in the UK, which is an SUV, as they do the Focus and the Fiesta. But these new WRC rules have a much bigger job than just keeping the existing manufacturers in the sport. What they need to be doing is always on the lookout for new manufacturers because for, you're always going to get manufacturers that come in and drop out. So you need to be on the recruitment drive all the time. But you can't be on the recruitment drive if you don't have a good product to sell to these manufacturers. You don't have a good proposal. And I think the first part of offering a hybrid technology uh, to be to be used in the World Rally Championship, I think that's a brilliant first box ticked. It's really important. It doesn't take a genius to work it out. Look at every single website of any manufacturer in any country. You will find two things. You will find electric and hybrid vehicles being promoted, and usually there will be an SUV or a crossover as well. So my personal view is that I think actually now that every manufacturer has one, two, three or more SUVs in their um, in their portfolio, I think they would be the perfect basis for um, for the World Rally Championship. And it opens up to so many new manufacturers. And when I was looking into this, one particular manufacturer came popped into mind immediately, and that's Porsche. Porsche have, certainly, I think, along with Ferrari, the richest motorsport heritage of any brand in the world. And actually, their their most famous car, the 911, actually debuted at the Monte Carlo Rally. So it actually didn't debut on the racetrack. It actually debuted in, in rallying first. And Vic Elford won the Monte Carlo Rally with it in 1968 and also won the European Rally Championship in 1967. Porsche went on to win uh, the Paris-Dakar on numerous occasions uh, and my favourite Porsche Rally car is the ProDrive built 911 SC from the early 80s that was driven by Henry Toivonen. Beautiful, beautiful machine. I actually saw one, uh, I saw this very car actually, uh, up close uh, uh, outside a dinner uh, in London a couple of years ago. It's a spectacular looking thing. Um, so Porsche have a motorsport heritage. I mean, they have a rallying her a very strong rallying heritage. Recently, um, legendary preparers and classic 911 builders, uh, Tuttle Porsche here in the United Kingdom, they took an old 997 um, a cup car, a race, you know, track racing car, and converted it into uh, a rally car. And it was campaigned by Francois Delacour uh, in the Monte Carlo Rally. And I just can't think of a more a more exciting combination than a Porsche 911 GT3 rally car. Francois Delacour driving it and the Monte Carlo Rally. For me, that is just putting... My hairs are standing up on end right now thinking about that. If you've not seen this particular car, and in particular Francois Delacour driving it, that's another bit of YouTube homework to, to, to check it out. But nowadays, Porsche, they sell 280,000 vehicles a year. They're one of the most profitable car companies in the world. They're selling 280,000 vehicles a year and taking home a net profit of 4.4 billion euros. Absolutely extraordinary. But the reason why 
they're such a profitable car company is because a huge part of their product mix are SUVs. Nearly 200,000 of the cars that they sell are SUVs. And just under 100,000 of those are the Macan Compact SUV, which actually the Macan Compact SUV sits on a, a relatively common platform that's shared all around the Volkswagen Audi group, and many cars use the same um, framework and a lot of the same componentry as well. But with Porsche's engineering and, and setup and design, they make the Macan is regarded as the most sporting and um, the most the most high performing um, SUV that you can buy. And you can get SUVs that go faster in a straight line, but the Macan reportedly is the best to drive and certainly sells in enormous quantities. They also sell the Cayenne, which is slightly bigger. It's more like a Range Rover size, uh, and and they sell uh, about about ninety thousand of, of of those a year. Not insignificant at all. So if you take a car like the Macan, the Macan is a car that every premium car manufacturer around the world has desperately tried to emulate and try to kind of get a bit of that winning formula to sprinkle on their own car and to try and make a, basically a me too of the Macan given its popularity. Now, for a brand like Porsche, for them to be able, now bearing in mind they will be launching a hybrid and an electric version of the Macan in the very, very uh, near future. So for them, with their motor racing heritage, which racing is a huge part of Porsche and a huge part of their brand, and durability is a huge part of why you buy a Porsche. You know, 70% of the Porsches ever built are still running to this day. So for them to be able to take their Macan into the World Rally Championship as a hybrid, to me, it seems a perfect opportunity. And if you look at the other manufacturers that we've had in the past in the World Rally Championship, Subaru, Mitsubishi, I mean, they, was, that, they used to rule the rallying world. Well, if you look at particularly Mitsubishi in the UK, only one car that they sell is not an SUV. That shows you just how important it is to them, and also they've been one of the real, um, one of the most successful um, um, auto manufacturers selling their uh, Outlander Hybrid in the United Kingdom as well. If you look at Skoda, part of the same parent company as Porsche, you know Skoda have had an excellent um, progression in rallying since the early 2000s and, all, and who can forget when Colin McRae nearly won Rally Australia in the Fabia VRS back in 2005 but nowadays the Skoda R5 um, uh, Skoda Fabia R5 car is renowned as one of the best cars you can uh, one of the most successful rally cars ever actually it's won titles and rallies all over the world Again, Skoda have virtually, they have three slightly different, they, they have three SUVs that basically it starts at one point and then it just gets more and more expanded. It's virtually the same car, just, it, <laughs> just grown out a, a, a little bit. So Skoda are another potential um, who, could, who, could, who could sign up for the World Rally Championship. Now, of course, this is all caveated with 
the obviously the global pandemic of coronavirus we can't we can't ignore that but it's not a situation that's going to last forever and it may be that in the first year of these new world rally regulations that might not be when we get the manufacturer involvement but at least we've got to try to get the manufacturer involvement from 2023 and, and, and onwards of course because hybrid and electric cars are very much the way that we're going in the short to medium term which is, to be honest, everybody has their own opinion on whether that's the right thing or not, but that's not necessarily important. From a sporting from a sporting perspective, the WRC needs more manufacturers in the championship because you need more seats. There are a lot of very, very good drivers who are currently sitting at home with no drive right now because there are not enough, enough cars in the championship. So it's crucial that this new rule set is able to lure in more manufacturers. And I think by um, allowing SUV or crossover style vehicles to be entered, I think you'll get a lot more interest. And if manufacturers are all in on electric and hybrid, they're all fully invested in it by now. That has happened, that's a fact. So the WRC can give a really good, unique platform. It's not Formula E, you can't replicate that. You know, it's. Rallying has this unique ability to really test a car to its limit and beyond. So I think that's something that they can really take to um, the manufacturer boardrooms to get them over the line. So let's wait and see. Fingers crossed. It would be great to see a more competition in the World Rally Championship. Thank you very much um, for for listening to this episode. I, I hope you've enjoyed it and and uh, um, enjoyed the the insight into the twenty twenty two World Rally Championship rules. Um, you can please don't forget to to follow or subscribe to the show on your um, podcast podcast provider of choice. And if you wish to be entered into the heeltread.com competition to win a lovely pair of heel tread socks you can do just by subscribing on the podbean app to the peter mckay motorsport podcast thank you very much to you all for listening uh, i have some bit of good news actually before we finish one before i forget a couple of days ago we went over ten thousand listeners for the very first time and i'm so so delighted to to say that uh, as many of you listeners will know, I have a great ambition to get into motorsport commentary and uh, in, into pit lane reporting as well and getting involved in, in motorsport. And this podcast is a huge part of that. So I really, really appreciate you supporting the show and listening to it. it, it I can't mention it enough. So thank you very much. And I look forward to speaking to you again very soon. <laughs>